The Gerontological Society of America, Meaningful Lives as We Age. Welcome to this GSA Momentum Discussion Podcast addressing kickstarting brain health conversations with LGBTQ older adults. Momentum Discussions highlight topics experiencing great momentum in the field of gerontology. We're grateful to Genentech, Lilly, Azai, and Otska for their support of the GSA Care Toolkit for Brain Health and today's program. My name is Jen Pettis. I'm the Director of Strategic Alliances at the Gerontological Society of America, and I'm delighted to serve as the host for today's Momentum Discussion podcast episode. Joining me is our friend and colleague, Dan Stewart, the Associate Director of the Aging Equality Project at the Human Rights Campaign, or HRC, Foundation. He is the HRC Foundation Lead for the Long-Term Care Equality Index, and we're recording this podcast at the GSA Podcast booth in Tampa, Florida during GSA 2023. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here in Tampa, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be part of GSA's annual scientific meeting, and for sharing your insights around kickstarting brain health conversations with LGBTQ plus older adults. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great. Well, before we get started with talking about conversations around brain health, I'd like to find out a little about your work. I think our listeners would be very interested to learn a bit about the Human Rights Campaign Foundation and the Aging Equality Project. So could you share a bit? Certainly. The HRC Foundation is the educational arm of the country's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer advocacy organization. Since 1984, with 11 programs, we've been working to identify the problems that LGBTQ people face and through a tried method of really building understanding, shaping the public conversation around LGBTQ folks through public education, research. We change policies and help organizations review their policies for inclusion using our benchmarking tools. We empower our strategic partnerships to really leverage their relationships and advocate for LGBTQ inclusion. Our Aging Equality Project, which is part of our Health and Aging Program, really strives to ensure that all older adults can age with dignity and respect, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they live. And we do this through education, through our equality indices, as well as strategic partnerships with organizations like Alzheimer's Association. Great. Tell me a little bit about the indices that you mentioned. So we have a a number of indices. Our oldest one is our Corporate Equality Index that we've been doing for over 20 years. Our Corporate Equality Index really works to shape the workforce within the United States and ensuring that there are protections for LGBTQ Americans. You know, 20 years ago, we started that initiative, but recognizing where other areas that LGBTQ people face challenges, and healthcare is one of the number one challenges that we face. And so 16 years ago, we started the Healthcare Equality Index, which works with about a thousand hospitals across the nation. Essentially, it's the first national benchmarking tool of LGBTQ inclusion made up of 30 plus best practices. Now, unlike other initiatives, we actually validate every single policy as well as how they communicate that policy. And our latest, which I have the pleasure of overseeing, is our long-term care quality index that specifically looks at inclusion at the intersection of senior living and long-term care. Um, As we know, our LGBTQ elders unfortunately experience a high disparities and a lot of chronic conditions as they age and need that extra support. So really seeing in that area of long-term care, how can we best support those providers to ensure that they're an inclusive space, not just for their residents, but also for their employees and the visitors. Oh, that's terrific. Great. Great work. 
Well, I did have the opportunity to spend some time on your website and look at all the rich resources, but I also noted there that LGBTQ people face worse health outcomes than their non-LGBTQ peers in just about every category. And these disparities are even greater for LGBTQ people of color, older adults, and people living in poverty from the LGBTQ plus community. Can you share some insights into these disparities and why they exist? You know, as you as you shared, you know, LGBTQ people are in every community, every profession, every culture, but yet face enormous obstacles. And unfortunately, because of that, often have a higher likelihood of health disparities and chronic illnesses. Really, it's important to look at this population, especially at the intersection of aging, from a life course perspective of recognizing historically there has been a history of stigma and legal discrimination, as well as pathologizing identities. You know, especially as we look at the older adult population that identify as LGBTQ+, they lived through a time period of the 1950s, the 1970s, where homosexuality was considered a mental illness in terms of the lavender scare and having federal employees fired for being thought to be LGBTQ happening. We had the Stonewall riots in the 60s, the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. So there have been historical periods of time where there has been great need and then also a lack of response, a lack of response governmentally within the systems that are there to support. And so what we see, unfortunately, is because of that stigma and discrimination, a greater fear of accessing care, a less likelihood to access preventative care. And as you can imagine, if we're not taking care of things as they uh, come along, often that can compile towards the end of individuals' lives, almost having an accelerated aging process in comparison to their non-LGBTQ peers, simply because of that stigma and discrimination, pathologizing and lack of access to care. So considering all of those challenges, how about when we consider brain health, dementia, and aging, in particular for individuals in the LGBTQ plus community, what are some unique challenges around that? Well, for years, we expected or anticipated that there would be higher likelihood to develop chronic conditions such as dementia to de uh, develop cognitive concerns. And now we're actually seeing the data that affirms that Dr. Jason Flatt has um, some research that really speaks to the higher likelihood of mild cognitive impairment as well as cognitive concerns. And when we break down that LGBTQ population, those that are transgender, non-binary actually have even worse outcomes related to that. And so really Really first recognizing that there's a higher risk in this population, and then we compound that with a less likelihood to access services. So really ensuring that individuals understand that this is a population that does need extended outreach, outreach that is culturally inclusive, informed, and that really recognizes also the unique family structures that is often found within LGBTQ populations. You know, many of us, as we age, we may have children or, or a partner to help care for us, but this is a population that is two times as likely to not have children, to age alone, and to have a dwindling social network, so often are relying on family of choice. So really recognizing that, especially in, in situations where an individual may become unable to make decisions for themselves, that we also are bringing up advanced directives and, and recognizing that the family structures or families of choice may not be recognized legally or by blood, and in turn, that does necessitate some extra steps to ensure that their voice and, and wishes are heard. And when you are assessing organizations as part of the Equality Project, how are you looking at family 
in those org. I'm I'm curious about questions and things that you identify on that. Yeah. So with our indices, we really have four key pillars. The first is our foundational policies of non-discrimination and staff training. This is not just for the patients, the clients, but also the employees and the visitors. So ensuring that there's equal visitation policy that recognizes a person of choice, not necessarily related by blood. In addition to that, in our patient services and support section, intake forms. That's a great way to get an idea of who's important to people rather than having prescribed or assumption of your husband or wife, even changing the question to who's important to you, to have something that's more open-ended. We also ensure in terms of really the employee's aspect, because we really firmly believe to create an equitable space for the client, for the patient, for the employee, it's a holistic environment that really everyone should be part of what it means to be inclusive. And this also involves, in terms of employees, an extended definition of family. So when we talk about family medical leave, we're including people that are not your blood relatives. And this this is the case for also non-LGBTQ people. You know, there's many people that are in long-term relationships that aren't married or have an, an aunt or a cousin who may be like their mom, but based on current FMLA practices, those people may not fit under that umbrella of who you can take and have protected leave for. So really also extending that to the policies, even to the employees, can create a more inclusive environment. Great. That's terrific. What would you like primary care teams and others who work with older adults who have dementia to know about stigma and the combined challenges of being LGBTQ plus and having dementia? I think it's important to, again, recognize that life course perspective of understanding that while the individual in front of you may not be experiencing that stigma and discrimination, they still carry that in their in their history. And because of that, there will probably be a greater likelihood of individuals being more closeted or more uh, less forthcoming about their identity. So really kind of taking the, the steps to be outwardly open and welcoming is, is critical to create that space where people feel comfortable. Again, recognizing that a families of choice dynamic of the language that we're utilizing in order to create space for that elder to speak. And then also ensuring that that we trust people in saying who they are. It's been very interesting in doing this work, especially in, in the light of dementia and brain health. A number of questions have come up from folks, although there's maybe one or two instances in the literature that this has happened, but there has been concerns. What if a transgender individual develops dementia? And as they age, as they progress through the disease, they no longer remember who they are and they say that they're their former name or their former gender presentation. And then there's all this concern of what to do. But really the simplest answer is what you do with anyone with dementia or really anyone that we're working with is just meeting them where they're at, right? And and honoring that person as they show themselves to be in that moment. Uh, I think there's just a strong desire to ensure that we're following best practices and what the, the policy says, but really also recognizing the human aspect behind all those policies, which is ultimately what we're getting at is person-centered, person-directed care and really seeing that person for who they are. And so giving folks the space to really share Share who they are is really critical just for overall quality of care. And then also recognizing that by doing that, you are really also shifting the narrative of what this population has gone through historically, where perhaps they have never been out about their identity, but because you've created an inclusive space, they now feel comfortable to. That's great, Dan. You shared a bit about the Health Equality Index and the Long-Term Care Index as well, but I'd love to hear some success stories associated with it. So how have you seen action on the ground that's really improved lives for individuals? 
You know, it's really amazing to see the extent that these institutions are really diving into the difficult conversations. You know, I have the pleasure of working within the senior healthcare industry. You know, I'm a gerontologist. I got my start in in long-term care. And historically, because of invisibility, it's a keynote, there really hasn't been that much identification of LGBTQ plus elders or active outreach. But that being said, especially as the conversation opens more publicly, we are seeing more elders come out later and later in life. We've been working with an institution in, in Colorado that took on the call to welcome this transgender woman who had been denied care at multiple communities across the state. The social worker was calling community after community and saying, no, we won't. And this community decided to take it on, not knowing what the best policies were, not knowing other than we want to provide the best patient-centered care that we can. But, but through working through the long-term care quality index and you know technical assistance, being able to formalize these best practices of ensuring that that person's name was being used, ensuring that that care was continuing, to ensuring that she was placed in a room that aligned with her own gender identity, really helping this organization formalize that so that it was ready for this resident, but also for residents to come. That's terrific. And it, and we've seen great work. Watermark is one of our largest system sign-ons, and they've been doing LGBTQ work, work for a number of years. But again, it's helping those that are even been doing this journey for a while to sharpen their resources and communication. Because what we see is really a number of LGBTQ elders who think they have to move. They have to move to the coasts. They have to spend a lot of money, when in reality, there might be communities in their own backyard that are doing this work, but don't realize how important it is to share that through marketing, through community outreach, through even touring, to let the community know that there are safe options in their own local hometown that they can attend. Great, great. How about the partnership you mentioned with the Alzheimer's Association? Can you share about that? Yeah, it's really been a a lovely uh, connection. I actually started volunteering with Alzheimer's Association Missouri chapter when I was a grad student doing uh, dementia-related research. And through that, had the experience of joining their DEI council and now moving to a national organization to really extend that relationship on a national level that's really focused in on educating our LGBT community at large about brain health, about ensuring um, their cognitive health as they age, as well as ensuring that they recognize the signs of of dementia. As LGBTQ people, we're also uh, more likely to be caregivers. And so having an emphasis on what caregivers can do, how they can take care of themselves in the process of caregiving for LGBTQ loved ones. And so we've done a a number of webinars. We uh, published an article within Alzheimer's Association specifically on working with transgender elders with dementia, as well as our Equality Magazine highlighting a volunteer of both our organizations who cared for her partner for 14 years with dementia and now is an outspoken individual sharing the message and, and also running an LGBTQ support group for caregivers of those with dementia. I think a key component, especially now that we're in the era of treatment, is early detection. And with a history of barriers to care as well as being fearful to access care, there is that much more of a need then for organizations such as HRC to have these conversations with our constituents. We have over 3 million members at HRC, and we started in 1980, and the reality is is that many of our members have aged with us. And so recognizing now that in order to sustain and care for ourselves throughout the, uh, the lifespan, that includes our brain health and recognizing how that is a key thing to be prepared for. Great. Tell us a little about what 
individuals who are perhaps providers or just part of care teams? What could they find on your organization's website to help them move the dial and to provide more inclusive care? So a few things, hrcfoundation.org is our, our homepage where you'll find a variety of resources. As I said, we have 11 programs. So our health and aging team oversees the hospital scape as well as long-term care, residential, senior living. Um, we also are in spaces of our all children, all families, working in child welfare services, our historically black colleges and universities, working with the students there, corporate equality index, our global team, a wide range of resources for folks who may work in the field and are looking for resources on how to provide best practices, as well as initiate institutional change on a level um, in their organization. In addition, the LEI.org houses a number of resources specifically for those in the intersection of aging and LGBTQ care. Our work really centers in on the long-term care sector, but really that expands to home and community-based services. A lot of those best practices as well as educational material will be relevant as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us here in Tampa and for joining me for the podcast. And let me know if there's any final word you want to leave our listeners with. Well, I want to thank GSA for the opportunity to be here, as well as the response that GSA has had to the light of anti-LGBTQ legislation that has happened in our country. I think it's important to really recognize in which ways that we can stand up and support individuals that have historically been marginalized. And thankfully, now we have the research, best practices, and success stories to show the next steps that we can take. And I am happy to be there during the process. Great. Well, thanks again for joining me. And it's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to cultivate excellence in interdisciplinary aging research and education to advance innovations in practice and policy. For more information about GSA, visit geron.org. G-E-R-O-N.org.